How many of you believe in prayer? This is a poll. Also want to remind you this morning, because we've only started this up a couple of weeks ago again, you have in your, you have in your bulletin, if you can find it amidst all these papers, uh, sermon notes. So in other words, you've got one of these. So if you want to keep track of what the sermon is about, you can go to this page and you can fill in the blanks and they'll appear up there for you this morning. Well, we say we believe in prayer and I know we do because this is a praying church. I want to share with you the, the power of prayer and how much it can influence your life. So we're going to have a text this morning, which is Psalm 61, and we'll read it in a moment. But you know who wrote it, right? David, David the shepherd king, David the king who loved music and played music and created music. Uh, he made many songs, did the words and the music. The Psalms are really songs of praise. When he was young, a young shepherd, he would sit out in the field and he'd play his, his harp, read guitar. That's what he was doing, he was playing his harp. And uh, he had a great audience, the sheep. Only problem is, every time they gave their opinion, it sounded like, bah. I mean, how'd you like to be standing up singing and that's what you get for a reaction? Eh, not so great. There were a number of times when uh, Israel's first king, Saul, was in the throes of despair and depression, and he would call for David, and he'd say, sing to me, because music is soothing. And, and David's words weren't just words he had with his lips. These were things that came from his heart. And as he sang, and as he shared his music, and as those lyrics came forward, they were therapeutic. They were meant to go to the heart because they came from the heart. And so David would sing it. It wouldn't be long before Saul's depression would dissolve. Try it sometime when you're down and out a little bit. Put on a, put on a if you have Gaither CDs or DVDs, put them on. When they start singing that joyful music, they, they've got that country music. It's, uh, it lift, can lift almost anybody's heart. Now, maybe not yours, but almost anybody's heart. But it would be a blessing for you to let music speak to you. I love the classics. I love to listen to various classic music and, and have it touch my heart. There were those dark times when David became king that he picked up his pen and his harp to write a song that expressed his deepest emotions. At that time is when he wrote Psalm 61. And one of those times, he got depressed. Saul got depressed. When you're in leadership, it ain't that hard to get depressed, distressed, and overwhelmed. That's why we got to pray for our leaders. We don't know what they're going through. A little background before we read him, uh, praise 61. Uh, David has grievously sinned against God. What did he do? Something that most of us have never done. I don't believe any of us have. He stole another man's wife. And if that wasn't bad enough, he had that man killed. These are heinous crimes. Sin has consequences. And David's paying very heavy price for his sin. Listen to the litany that he is paying. He's off his throne. He's banished from the Jewish tabernacle by the priests. His son Absalom is in open rebellion against him. His own son. You want to have a heartbreak? Have your son or daughter against you. See how that feels. And the former king Saul is politicking against him. You think you have a bad day? This is really an awful period of time for him. 
These are the dark times for a guy who was once the nation's hero. He was God's chosen king. He was ancestor to Israel's Messiah, our Savior Jesus Christ. David had made a mess of his life. Have you ever felt that's what you've done? Made a mess of your life? Well, God's in the business of cleaning up messes. Amen? This is what he wants to do in your life if you're at that apex, if you're at that juncture in life. If there's a broken relationship between you and the Lord, he wants to repair it. Such is life. God doesn't work with flawless, sinless, perfect people because there ain't none. So while everybody's abandoning David, God's not. When you feel like the world's abandoned you, when you feel like you're on the outside, check your heart, check your relationship with the Lord, go back to your book, go back to the Bible, and see how many times God says that he's never going to leave you, he's never going to forsake you. There's no way that you can escape him. You can run to the highest mountain, deep down to the lowest valley, but he's going to be there with you. When you've finally fallen off the edge of the ledge, that you were going through and you're in the pit of deepest despair, I want to tell you, he's down there with you. He's already waiting for you and he wants to lift you up. Somebody wrote that, the, that Psalm 61 is a prayer of thanksgiving of an expelled king on his way back to the throne. So let's stand together as I read for you Psalm 61. And... Pay attention to the words because we're going to break the verses down verse by verse. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah means to pause. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows, hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. That will prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever, who prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So, I, so will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may dwell daily, perform my vows. Thank you. you may be seated. So remember, where's David at this point in his life? He's on the outside looking in. He's lost so very much. Family, friends, throne, respect. What does it feel like for a man to lose respect? One of the things that we men need from our spouse is to know that we're respected. One of the things that our spouse needs from us is to know that they're loved. Love and respect go hand in hand. They go together. He lost respect. The taste of his fall is bitter in his mouth and he's depressed, he's stressed, have you ever been there? What did you do? What did David do? And what David did is an example for us. Verse 1, David cried out to God. I see that we're not going to get that up there. Okay, technical problems. Okay, so I'm going to go cried out to God. <laughs> That'll tell you where the underline goes. He cried out to God. He has, he's not mouthing prayers. He's not reading from a prayer book. What is he doing? He is, he is 
gushing from the inside out. This is not ritual for him. His eyes are blurred with tears. They're running down his face. His heart is broken. His, pr his pride has been crushed. He begs God to hear his prayer. Our Father, God, is tender-hearted to his children. God is not in the business of, of, of uh, condemning. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit convicts. He doesn't condemn. The Holy Spirit lets you know when you've sinned. The Holy Spirit tells you the remedy for that sin. And it's not to beat yourself up anymore. It's not to throw God out of the picture. It's not to, I am so surprised by how many Christians, when they're going through a tough time, walk away. Wait a minute. Where are you going? What are you looking for? What do you think is going to help more or better than what you've got in Jesus Christ? There ain't nothing out there that's better. Search as you may. So stick with what you got. God's got this. And God's got you. God is tenderhearted. That's his maternal side. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of all those things. That's his paternal side. But his maternal side is to love like a mother loves. Tears of repentance are returned from God as oceans of forgiveness and rivers of love. They never stop flowing for you. David knows by experience that a broken and humbled heart will reconnect him to God. So he prays. David prays in verse 3, God, you have been my shelter. My shelter. What's a shelter? A place of protection from the weather? A place of protection from the storms of life. The synonyms are words like retreat, refuge, sanctuary, asylum, haven. Shelter is a physical human need. We need it. And the hierarchy of needs, shelter is right down there at the, at the base. We need a place to cover our heads. One of the things about a yarmulke, you know what one of the things about a yarmulke is? When Jews wear the yarmulke, it reminds them that God is over their head. That God is over them. Food and shelter are basic to human life. Hurricanes and tornadoes can turn stone shelters into tarp shelters, but shelters nevertheless. Shelter is home. And what feels better than home? David's lost everything that made him feel secure. He feels homeless. He feels exposed. He feels vulnerable. And now he cries out to God because he knows that God will shelter him. And when he's in God's love and when he's in God's protection and when he's in right relationship with God, he feels like God is home to him. And nothing feels better than home. Verse 3, David prays, God, you have been my strong tower. Our connection to God is not a fragile one, not destroyed by our faults or our failures, not shaken by our doubts or our fears. Our faith in Jesus Christ is on a firm foundation, and the footings go deep. In a world where there are no guarantees, in a world of constant changes, in a world where nothing lasts forever, Verse 2, David prays, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The rock that is higher than I. God, my world's upside down. I'm confused. I've lost my focus. I've lost my way. I feel insecure. Bring me to a place of stability and safety. You know, we live in a floodplain. When the Delaware River 
overflows its banks, and it does from time to time. We all have seen it. You don't want to live in Lambertville at a time like that, may I add? But what do the people do at a time like that? They, she, they seek higher ground. And when you're going through the storms of life, you have to seek higher ground. And that higher ground is in the hands of Jesus. He's promised to hold you up. He's promised to keep you secure. He's promised if all else falls apart, your connection to him won't. And things in this life have a habit of falling apart pretty quickly. When, we, when, we, when people in the, uh, living on the river change their perspective by going to a higher place, they can look safely down on floods devastation rather than being caught in the floods de devastation. There's a big difference looking down on it or being caught in it. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, our rock, allows us to see life's devastating events from a higher perspective. We look at it from the book. We look at it from a point of eternity. We look on it from a point of truth and fact and absolutes. When God makes you a promise, will he keep it? Oh, you think so? Yeah, yeah, you're right. When God makes a promise, he will keep it. And he's promised you that he's going to pick you up from a place of devastation and the place where you're in harm's way. And he's going to take you to that higher place in his arms, wrapped closely in his hug. People tell me how much we love hugs. Well, isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus is hugging us? And someday he'll do that when we get to heaven, and I'm looking forward to that hug. The death, the death of a believing loved one isn't the end of the relationship. With the promise of eternal life, Christ turns goodbye into I'll see you later. When faced with job loss and financial devastation, Christ promises to supply all our needs and turn our fears into hope. When life's disappointments and people let you down, Christ stands in the gap and the Bible reminds us that Jesus never fails. As David prays and remembers God's care for him in the past, his tears of sorrow turn to tears of joy, and his negative feelings like a fog begin to lift. Warmed by the sunlight of God's unconditional love, David envisions a brighter future. David has been transported by his faith from a winter of discontent to a spring filled with promise and hope. In that optimism and in that positive spirit, David makes four resolutions to God. How many resolutions have you made to God? How many New Year's resolutions have you made and how many have you torn up in about a month and a half? We ain't good at that. But here's what David says. Number one resolution. Verse two, from the end of the earth will I cry unto you. Will I cry unto you. Regardless of where I am, Lord, in life, regardless of my circumstance, I will never let go of you. You can do that. That's something you can do. Not let go. Not give up. Not quit. Not throw in the towel. You can do that. You have enough faith or whatever else it takes to hang on to the Lord and never let go of him. I will pray in good times and bad, he says. I will remain connected to you when I'm up on the mountaintop or down in the valley. Number two, verse four, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I'll return and stay in fellowship with you and with those in the house of the Lord. David learned something we all know. You can't walk this life as a Christian alone. The Christian faith is not a game of solitaire. 
Believers require the fellowship of other believers. Christians must connect with other Christians or they will lose their way. Without the warm glow of Christian fellowship as found within a church family, in a meeting house, or on live stream, the believer will grow cold and indifferent to the things of the Lord. David experienced those, those feelings and vows never to go there again. There may have been a time in your life when you gave up on Jesus. Well, you can make this promise to Jesus and to yourself, I'm never going there again. I'm never giving up on you, and I'm never giving up on your promises. Number three, verse four, in effect, he says, I will place my trust in the Lord. Evangelist Dwight O. Moody learned the same truth and put it this way. Trust in yourself and you're doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in money and you may have it taken away from you. Trust in reputation and some slanderous tongues will blast it. But trust in God, trust in Jesus, and you are never to be disappointed in time or in eternity. You'll never be disappointed in Jesus. Verse 8 Number four, I will sing praises unto thy name forever. In reviewing all that had happened to him and how God had been with him through it all, David unlocked the key to his happiness. He was learning to thank God and praise God for everything that came into his life, no matter whether it seemed good at the time or bad at the time. Well, I've been through both of those kinds of times. Many times I couldn't thank God for the bad times. But once I learned to do that, and learned that there was a lesson to be found in my bad times and my hard times when I learned to put a completely different perspective on those times. Every one of our troubles can be turned into blessings. David prayed when all was lost. He bathed his prayers in tears. He prayed from the heart. In his weakness, David unleashed the power of prayer to change a life. His situation didn't change. You may be praying for something in your situation. You know, we've prayed for certain people to get things like a kidney for years. Eventually, they got a kidney. The one thing we learned from all that was this. Don't stop praying. Don't give up on that. It's your lifeline. His, David's problems didn't go away, but God changed him. Think about that. Prayer turned a David's sad heart into a joyful one. Prayer made his foolish heart wise. Third, prayer made his blind heart full of light and sight. Fourth, prayer made his cold heart warm. Fifth, prayer lifted his heart from the depths of despair and lifted it to a rock that was higher than himself and his circumstance. God still Answers prayer. What? God still answers prayer. One more time. Thrill me. Together. God still answers prayer. Amen. Closing story. I've given you this story once before, but it just seemed to my heart to go along with where we are. The power of prayer. His nightmares began each day when he awoke. James Steagles was 19. He was in Vietnam. 
Though he carried a small Gideon New Testament in his shirt pocket, he couldn't bring himself to read it. His buddies were cut down around him. Terror was building within him, and God seemed very far away. His 20th birthday passed, then his 21st, and at last he felt he could not go on any longer. On February 26, 1968, he prayed for it all to end, and his heart told him he would die before dusk. Sure enough, his base came under attack that day, and Jim heard a rocket coming straight toward him. Three seconds to live, he told himself. Two, one, and then a friend shoved him into a grease pit, and he waited for the rocket to explode, but there was only a surreal silence. The fuse malfunctioned. For five hours, James knelt in that pit, pit, and finally his quivering hand reached into a shirt pocket to take out his New Testament. Beginning with Matthew, he continued through the first 18 chapters. When I read Matthew 18, 19 to 20, I somehow knew things would be all right. Long after Jim returned home, as he visited his wife's grandmother, Mrs. Harris, she told him a night years before when she had awakened in terror. Knowing Jim was in Vietnam, she had a sense he was in trouble. She began praying for God to spare his life. Unable to kneel because of arthritis, she lay prone on the floor praying and reading her Bible all night. Just before dawn, she read Matthew 18, 19, and 20. If two of you agree down here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together there, because, because they are mine, I am there among them. She immediately called her Sunday school teacher who got out of bed and went to Mrs. Harris' house, where together they claimed the Lord's promise as they prayed for Jim and had reassurance from God that there will be peace. Having told Jim the story, Mrs. Harris opened her Bible to show him where she had marked the page, the passage. In the margin were the words, Jim, February 26, 1968. The same day the missiles missed him and malfunctioned. The power of prayer, absolutely. Let's pray. And so today, Father, we thank you for sunshine. We thank you for the warmth and the glow of the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we could be one in the spirit. We thank you that we can feast on your word and be filled. We thank you, Father, for the encouragement that comes out of the book. We trust it. We believe every word of it. And because of that, we know that its promises are for us because we believe you. We thank you, Father, for your great love for us and your presence in our life and the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this body of believers and we pray a blessing as we go out today. Help us as we leave this place to be on fire for you, Lord. Help us to share Jesus if given the opportunity by divine appointment. And let us never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his, his name. Amen and amen.